Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, I see some new faces. Welcome to Portalis. Uh, I'm not the pastor. I'm the, I'm the uh, youth pastor here. I'm the associate pastor. I handle some other things. And so today is my day to preach. I'm, I don't preach uh, regularly, uh, so I might be a little bit rusty. All right. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews. Uh, we're going to be jumping into this, uh, uh, this book here. Um, going to be doing a little bit of a crash course of the book of Hebrews. Um, in your bulletin, you do have an insert there. This will help you to take notes. If you're a note taker, today's a great day for you. Uh, take some notes. If you don't have one, maybe we just forgot to put it in there. So there's some in the back if you need one. But uh, as you open to Hebrews chapter 1, let me pray for us as we dive deep into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, you are good and you are constant. You are faithful. You're good in a, in, a, in a world that is broken and tainted with sin. Father, you have sent your son, Jesus, to provide a way out. You have given us eternal life. And Lord, I pray that today we may learn from you. We may uh, learn uh, your word. Teach us, Lord. Open our hearts. Open our eyes so that we can be receptive to your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So, um, the book of Hebrews, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit uh, kind of a, of a taste of what the author's intentions are. We don't necessarily know uh, who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's probably a good guess would probably be Paul or Apollos, but we do know that it is a Jewish believer, and the, the author's intentions of this book is the fact that he wants to give an encouragement to the Jewish believers at that time with a little bit of tough love. You know, anybody like tough love? Not in the moment, right? We don't like tough love in the moment. And he's trying to tell them that we should not drift away from our hope in Jesus. That they have kind of turned back into their old religious ways of Judaism. So he's saying, don't drift away. If you're a new believer, if you're a new Christian, or you've been a Christian for some odd years, you know that sometimes in our relationship with God, we tend to drift away from him. Right? Whether we realize it or we don't. Sometimes... Uh, it can be the super simple, mundane things, and we end up drifting away from God. Or sometimes really big, great storms come in our life, and it causes us to drift away. And there's a few reasons why we drift away, right? Uh, we, again, we live in a world that is constantly moving, swaying back and forth like the winds and the waves. It's one minute, it's this, the next is this, and we have war, we have famine, we have disease, we have brokenness. And then sometimes what causes us to drift away is not so much of the out external things, but it's the internal things, the things that we do that sin against God, the things that we do that causes us to drift away. And this is the analogy that we're going to be using of a boat, a ship out at sea that is being anchored in to the bottom of the ocean floor. The winds and the waves, they toss the boat back and forth. But the anchor holds it steady and secure. Uh, the ocean is a scary place for some of us. Uh, um, the ocean is very deep and vast, and there's a lot of sea creatures and sharks. And some of y'all, you guys think about the ocean, and you're just like kind of frightened, you know. Uh, and it's funny because we, we live in the desert. We don't have any large bodies of water around us. We probably have oases out here and 18th Street when it's being flooded. But... <laughs> 
But that's all we know. That's all we know. So this is a very different analogy for us. But I want you guys to picture yourself out at sea. If you've gone to the beach, you know that if you go out a little bit along the ways of the water, then you start to like drift away from your own base camp that you set up at the beach. Because the winds and the waves, they toss you back and forth, and you end up drifting away. Uh, I had a good friend. His name is Larry. He's Nigerian. His real name is, get ready for it, his real name is Olan Rewaju. That's his name. Really neat guy. He went, he went with us to, slow, uh, to our mission trip in Slovenia, and uh, we went out to the lake quite often. We went paddle boarding. Well, my friend Larry, he's big and broad, and you think you look at him, he can conquer anything, right? He cannot do water. He is terrified of water. He can't swim, and he, he's afraid that he might drown. And so the most he can do is probably like ankle deep, and then after that, he's good. Uh, so we tried to get him to go with us uh, to paddle boarding, and he wouldn't go. He was really scared, like scared enough to where Kenzie and I, Ken, Kenzie's the more teacher than I am, uh, but she would be like, Larry, stop. It's okay. Don't move it or you're going to tip over. And this is what happens. Some of us are scared of the ocean. I'm not so much scared of the ocean. I, I kind of welcome it. It's a little bit daunting for me, but it is mysterious, and I think it's fun. What I can't do is outer space. Can you guys do outer space? Maybe, maybe some of y'all can. Be like, yeah, I could do that. Outer space. I can't do it. It scares me. When I watch movies, I, I, I can't. I, I, I kind of die inside a little bit because, I mean, something happens, and you just lose oxygen and you suffocate. That's just scary to me. Or the fact that like this astronaut here, if he's doing repairs outside of his shuttle and something happens and he drifts away into space, <laughs> that's scary to me. And so this is the analogy that the author of Hebrews is using. And I, the reason I brought up astronauts is because the, the actual term that the astronauts use is this word called tether. They tether themselves to the shuttle so they don't float away. And this is it, that we don't drift away from the truth about Jesus. So that is the theme of today's message, that we don't drift away from the truth of Jesus. And so now we're going to get into some context a little bit about the book of Hebrews. Again, the, the book of Hebrews, the author, he's writing to Jewish believers who are, were actually being persecuted for their faith. The author wanted to encourage them for, from those who were drifting away from his truth and those who were going back to the religious way of doing things. They had a lot of religious laws that they had to abide by, and they were going back to them rather than putting their trust in Jesus. So again, this is going to be a crash course. If, if it feels fast for you, that's, that's normal. We're going to go run through this, and then we'll, we'll keep going here. So uh, we're going to start by reading chapter 1 of Hebrews, uh, 1 through 3. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things in, by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
So this is an introductory paragraph. Those of you who have written research papers or have liked to read books, you know that the first introduction paragraph, he's setting the stage. He is setting the tone of what's going to happen. And he's saying this, that God spoke in many ways by prophets and by many various ways, but now he's speaking to his son, Jesus, the son of God, the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of his being, the one who sustains all things. Jesus is the full expression of God. And he's setting up the stage for this, that Jesus is going to be greater than anything and anyone in your life. So we keep reading just a little bit further. We're going to read uh, verses 4 through 6 and still in the first chapter. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had inherited superior to theirs. For to which the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So the author of Hebrews, what he's trying to state, he's trying to go from lesser to greater, But in this statement, what he's saying is that Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. And how so? How is Jesus greater than the angels? Well, we have to look into what the angels' job was. We think about in the Old Testament and some in the New, what was the angels' job? They came to deliver what? A message. Kids, you may know this from Christmas time. Who was the one who came to Mary and Joseph, an angel of the Lord. He came to deliver to them that they were going to bear a son named Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is greater than the angels. You know how so? He's a greater messenger. Jesus is a greater messenger. If we keep going, Hebrews, we're going to go to chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found greater worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's household, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. So this next part, Jesus is now comparing, is being compared to Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. We have to first understand who is Moses. If those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, and those of you that are familiar with the Ten Commandments, it's really uh, people, the Jewish world would call that the law of Moses. The law of Moses. Moses was a really high esteemed man uh, in the ancient Jewish world. He was like the father of faith to a lot of people. And to a lot of people, to say that you are greater than Moses, you had a problem, right? And so the author of Hebrews, he's setting up the stage to say that Jesus is greater than Moses. How so? 
He is a greater moderator than anybody. Think about it. Moses instructed the law of the Lord to the Israelites, to the people of God. He instructed them. He guided them to follow God's law. The first time I really heard the word moderator was actually in our church business meeting. Uh, we, We have someone called the moderator who comes and moderates. I think about Jim every time, you know, someone who comes and instructs us and guides us into our budget meeting, right? So the same way here, Jesus is a greater moderator than Moses. Let's keep going. Hebrews chapter 4, starting on verse 14. And what I'm doing here, y'all, is I'm just grabbing key themes, key highlights of the first uh, one through six chapters of Hebrews. Uh, That's what I'm doing. I'm just kind of getting the the key things. So chapter 4, verses starting 14. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every single way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive, uh, uh, receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what is the author of Hebrews is saying? That Jesus is greater than any high priest. Jesus is greater than any high priest. How so? We have to understand that the high priest, the priest uh, in the Old Testament, what they would do is that they would come and bear or sacrifice an animal for the sins of the people. They would go before God in the holy place and they would bear a sacrifice for the sins of the people but there was a problem with this system the problem was that the high priest was also a sinner so he not, he not only did on behalf of the people a sacrifice of sins but he did it for himself as well because he was a sinner so Jesus is greater than any high priest and there's so many implications y'all to this Hebrews is a great book. I encourage you to go home, study it, read it. There's so much in here. But I'm highlighting the key theme. So Jesus is a a greater than any high priest. How so? He is a greater mediator. Jesus is a greater mediator. Again, the priest would come on behalf of the people. The way that Jesus came on behalf for us. When he died upon the cross, he came and took our sins He paid our fine, the fine that we all owed, because we are all sinners. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's what it was, right? Jesus came and bore our sins upon him. He paid our fine, dying on the cross, and then rising again. And whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. So Jesus is a greater mediator. Now, we have to ask the question, by the way, these are some good questions if you're ever doing your own personal Bible study. Is what did it mean back then? Now let's talk about what it means to us today. What is it trying to say? God is promising a new way of doing things. That we're not, he's not going to abolish the law, but he's going to come and fulfill them by sending Jesus, his own son. So if you could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6 starting on verse 13. We're going to just kind of camp out here just for a little bit. 
And in this section, God is making a promise, the same promise that he made to a lot of Old Testament figures like Abraham. But for example, he's, he's making a new promise of not an old covenant, but a new covenant. A, not an old relationship, but a new relationship with the people. The old covenant uh, was revolved around controlling our conduct. But our, the new covenant is all about changing our character. There's a new way of doing things. So God made a promise. So let's read this, starting on verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. This is it right here, verse 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. For we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So, here it is. Here's the promise that God is making. That I'm going to send someone who is greater, who is better than anything and anyone. Someone who's going to come and not take away the laws, but come and fulfill them. So now us, we don't have to abide by the 613 Jewish laws that the Old Testament had to do. We have to believe and put our trust in Jesus. That is the new covenant. That is the new way of doing things. And why do I stop at verse 18? Let's read that again. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Now, why would the author of Hebrews say that it is impossible for God to lie? Some of y'all are thinking, they're like, wait, something's impossible for God? That's not in God's nature. God cannot do something that's opposite to his nature. He cannot lie. So what he's saying here is that the attributes of God, who God is, will never change. When he makes a promise, he will keep it. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? That we can think about who God is and his attributes. So let's, let, let's look into some things here. If you turn your page, we're going to go into some attributes of God. We're gonna, if I asked you who is God, you would say, well, God is God, right? Well, tell me more. Tell me more about God. Well, God is creator, yeah? God is the heavenly father, yes? Tell me more about God. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to come up with answers. But here we're going to come up with some. So number one, as you guys can see in your, in your little insert, that God is omnibenevolent. I can never say this one. I try to practice it, y'all, I promise. Omnibenevolent. You guys try saying it. See what happens. <laughs> um, what does this mean? This is a big word. This is a big fancy word. That God is all good. God is all good. There is nothing defiled about the nature of God. There's nothing sinful, nothing evil. God is not the author of evil. He may allow it to happen. He may permit it to happen. But God is all good. This is hard for us to understand 
Because we live in a world where everything's not all good. And it's hard to us to see that the, the person that we're supposed to anchor in is all good. Let's keep going to the next one. God is faithful. God stays true no matter what. He does not break his promise. I'm trying to remember if I had any slides for these, uh, Kelsey. Are there any slides? All right. Um, so God is all faithful. Next, God is immutable. This is another big word. God does not change. He's not changing. Like the winds and the waves and the sea and the world, he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He will never change. God is omnipotent. This is another big word. God is all-powerful. There is nothing that our God cannot do. This is a great one. We don't really live in a, a country where there's a lot of gods. We may have religions, but if you go to a lot of our third world countries, you'll see that there's many gods. And the many gods you see, they're statues, right? Or that's our God. You're saying, that, that's your God? Like, I can go grab that thing and toss it in the, in the ocean and it'll be gone forever? Yep, that's our God. Well, our God is not that way. Our God is all-powerful. There's nothing that he cannot do. Let's keep going. God is omniscient. There's another big one. God is all-knowing. He knows all things. He knows what's better for you, whether you like it or not. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need anybody or anything. God is sovereign. He is in control. When we live in a world that we feel like we're losing control, just know that God is still in control. And lastly, God is all loving. His abundant and perfect love for us. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth, no life, no death, no angels or demons. Nothing in all creation could ever separate us from the love of God. His love is so pure and so faithful that even when we don't love him, he still loves us. So why do I talk about the attributes of God? Because this is super vital into why we should anchor ourselves in Jesus and God. We have to look at the attributes of man. And as you can see, we're going to go through these. God is omnibenevolent. There you go. God is all good. Guess what? We're not always all good. We sin. We make mistakes, whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally. God is faithful. We are faithless. We don't stay true sometimes. God is immutable. We are mutable. We change. We sway back and forth. We say one thing and do another. God is omniscient. He's all-powerful. I'm sorry, did I skip one? Omnipotent. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We are powerless. This is a really great one, powerless. We talked about this with our youth a few weeks ago. Uh, we meet on Tuesday nights, celebrate recovery. Um, pastor has put a pause during the summer for his Bible study, but man, I, I encourage you, come. We talk about stuff like this. We talk about being powerless. We go into a place where we are in denial about being powerless. We have to admit that we're powerless to do the things and change the way that we want to change. But God is all-powerful. Omniscient, God is all-knowing. We don't know enough. We have limited knowledge. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody. But guess what? 
We are sufficient. We need somebody. We need God. God is in control. We're not in control. Some of us that are uh, adults, um, because I'm in the youth program, I, it's hard being a teenager today. I mean, think about it. They're not in control, right? They don't have responsibilities yet. Sometimes, for those of us that are adults, we, we like control. We like to be in the driver's seat in our relationship with God. God, let me call the shots. You be in the passenger seat and just do your own little thing. So God, we're not in control. Accepting that will help us greatly. The last one, God is all loving. We fail to love every single day. Our love is broken and tainted. It is not perfect like God's. So why do I say all of this? This is the second point here of your little insert. So that we may be greatly encouraged. That we can anchor ourselves into someone who is constant, faithful, all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful. Because we live in a culture nowadays where it's about yourself, right? If I, if I just try harder, if I'm just more faithful, God, or if I just had a better job, or if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if, or if I just had this type of job, or if I just had this car, and it's all about me, 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 I, 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 I. Or or, or nobody else. It's, we, we live in a world where if, if I just need to find my purpose in life, if I just look deep enough within myself, I'll find it. If I just have my identity put in something else, and all of a sudden you're, you're living in a world untethered, unanchored, in a world that is constantly drifting away back and forth. And we need someone that is going to be constant, someone who's going to be secure. So this is where the tough love comes in. Hang on to your seats, okay? Uh, this is the author of Hebrews encouraging the Jewish believers with a little bit of tough love. He's going to go through some warning signs or some dangers when we don't anchor ourselves in the truth of Jesus. So if you can kind of go with me, Hebrews chapter 2. Again, I'm just highlighting some things here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. There's the warning. That we, the warning is that you don't drift away. And the encouragement in this is that you don't let go. Do not let go to what is secure and firm. Hold fast. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go of the truth of Jesus in a world that is constantly changing. Don't let go. Hold on to that mentality because it's the only thing that will keep you stable. Let's go on to the next one. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. See it too, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful heart unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. What is the warning here? The warning is against hardening your own heart. What does that mean? 
Basically, what the author of Hebrews is saying, you've grown dull. You have grown dull. You have grown numb, insensitive to the word of God, to his commands. You're walking away every chance that you get when it comes to obeying God. And, we've, and those of us who have experienced this in our walk with God, we sin and we get closer to sin. And all of a sudden, you start going away from God. You start drifting away. What's the call? What's the encouragement? Obedience. When God is calling you to something, do it. Obey him. Trust him. Obedience is a sign of trust, right? I was talking about my friend Larry the other day. Kinsey was reminding me of the story of how we, he actually got brave enough to go out in, in the middle of the lake and something happened and the paddleboard tipped over and he was... He was in the water, and he was freaking out. He was in panic. And I think, was it Kenzie? Kenzie, she said, Larry, stop. You're going to make us drown. What if Larry kept going? He had to have obedience. He had to have trust and obedience, right? Sometimes when we walk away from the Lord, we, go, we, we grow dull. We harden in our heart. We... We kind of grow apathetic to God's ways. We just, ah, that's okay. Oh, I just lied one time. Or I just said this. It'll be okay. And all of a sudden, we begin to grow insensitive to God's calling. And it starts to hurt us. One thing that I heard uh, a while back is a delayed obedience is still disobedience. So not just obey, but have a timely obedience. Do it quick. Don't even think about it. Do it quick because as soon as you start thinking about it, you start to go in doubt. Oh, it's okay. That's all right. But timely obedience is good. I mean, parents, you should know this. When you take, tell your kids, throw out the trash, right? An hour goes by. Go throw out the trash. Oh, okay, I will, I'll do it. I'll do it. Go ahead. You know, a few hours pass by. They still haven't done it. Turns out next morning it's still there. It's growing mold on there. It's timely obedience when it comes to walking with the Lord. That way we don't drift away. The third warning, this is the final warning, is in Hebrews chapter 5, starting on verse 11. Eleven says this, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid, food, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is, this is the, the tough love a little bit. He's saying... It's hard for you to understand because you don't want to understand, number one. And number two is that right now, you should not be just learning about this. You should be teaching it to others. You should be teaching it to us. So what's the warning? The warning is about being stuck in your walk with God. Uh, I want you guys, I, I like the word that, uh, my, my translation is NIV, and I like the word elementary. Because I want you guys to think about this for a bit. Anybody in here who's in the third grade? Third grade, third graders anywhere? All right, we've got a few. <laughs> I, 
I want you guys to think that you're going to be in third grade for the rest of your life. You're still learning mathematics, uh, four plus four, right? Maybe multiplication, subtraction. And I want you guys to be thinking about you're in a classroom. You're going to be in the classroom for the next maybe 30 years. And you're not growing. And you're not advancing. And you're not growing in your walk with God. And this is what he's saying. He's saying you're stuck in your walk with God and it's causing you to, be, to drift away. You know what the encouragement is? Grow in spiritual maturity. Grow in your faith. Don't be stuck. Don't abandon the elementary, the elemental truths, but build off of them. That, let's keep reading uh, chapter 6 there. We're just going to, Therefore, let us move beyond elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, uh, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. Again, let us move, let us grow with God. These are the warning signs that the book of Hebrews is saying. And why say all of this? Why, why go through all of this? And it's because of Hebrews 6, starting on 19, that we have this hope in Jesus as an anchor for the soul. This is, this is our truth. This is what we hold to. We hold on to it, steadfast, not letting go of who God is, growing in our walk with God, holding on to it, not walking away when it comes to being disobedient, but being obedient to God and trusting in him. So here's the call. Today, like the scripture says, today you have a choice. Uh, I heard something the other day that said, you have about 48 hours to 72 hours to, once you've heard something, to do something about it. And after that window, you've kind of lost your chance. It just, it's kind of just fancy words, and it's just, oh, that's nice but you don't really do anything about it. So this is my encouragement to you all, is that whether you are the person here that has never clinged on to something constant, who's never secured your hope in Jesus, I encourage you to do that this morning. I promise you, you won't regret it. For my personal life, Jesus is literally my everything. And without him, I don't know where I would be. So if you're in here and you haven't clung to Jesus yet, if you haven't put your trust in him, I encourage you to do that. And if you're somebody else in here, as, as we're about to pray and start another song, if you're somebody else in here that is these dangers, the, the warnings have encouraged you a little bit, whatever that is, if that's drifting away, you're not holding on to the truth, or if you're being stuck in your walk with God, or if you're being apathetic towards your walk with God, I encourage you, think about it, reflect on it, ask God to help you, and I promise you he will. So let me pray for us. We're going to sing a song. I'll be up here. Pastor Philip will be up here if you need someone to pray with. I'd love to pray with you. Um, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, because you are gracious and you are good in a world that is constantly moving. In a world that is broken and tainted, Lord, you are perfect and pure. Lord, without you, this world will be chaotic. And uh, Lord, we know that you are our anchor to our soul. We hold on to you steadfast. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus.
for being the exact representation of, of you, God, of, of the fulfillment of all things. Lord, thank you. I pray that you may uh, teach us, uh, convict us, Father. Uh, guide us to where we should go because we know that you are greater than anything and anyone. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.